0: I'm going to be reading from John 3, verses 1 to 21 this morning from the New Living Translation. So please feel free to either follow along or you can just listen. So John 3, verses 1 to 21. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The winds blow wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Asked Nicodemus. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, We tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. The judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world But people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fears their sin will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light, so that others can see that they are doing what God wants. Thanks,
1: Dan. Awesome. Thanks, Janelle. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you all. And uh, welcome to the guests who are with us. It's great to have you guys. And I'm excited this morning. I feel like God is going to move in our midst this morning. And we're opening up John 3, which is one of uh, the most well-known passages in Christianity, and arguably John 3:16, the most well-known verse in Christianity. There is. There's a lot, there's a lot that goes on in this passage. It is big, it is chunky, so I'm going to pray first of all because we need a spirit of wisdom and revelation to help us this morning. So Father, we stand before you this morning, your children, and we say, God, give us understanding. Give us light and illumination this morning that we would hear your words and be changed and transformed by them, that your spirit would be set amongst us today to give us a newness of life, to enter into all that Jesus has come for, all that Jesus has paid for, that there would be adoption this morning into the very family of God. Help us, Holy Spirit. Come and teach us. Come and comfort us. Come and exhort us this morning. Come and do all that is in your heart to do, God. Amen. Well, as we start in John 3... I want to ask a question, have you ever been in a room listening to some specialists discuss something and you realize all of a sudden you kind of have no idea what they're talking about because there's so many acronyms and there's so many words you don't understand? Actually if you haven't had that experience I thought I would ask two of our medical specialists in the room if they could come and help us this morning to uh, give us that experience and some insight into their daily lives with a little bit of dramatic effect to help me out. (laughs) typical day at work? No. Hey, Eleanor, I've just seen this um, antenate in one of my rooms. A bit worried about her. One of if you could just run some stuff by you. Um, I've done this ECG on her. If you could just review it for me. She's come in with a bit of um, dyspnea, dyspnea. She's a primip. Vague chest pain. If you could just have a check of that. See what you think. There's nothing I'm really worried about.
2: Uh, Right. You've called the ambulance already, haven't you? No. Calm down. She's not that unwell.
1: There's no ischemic changes on the thing. She's young, 25, uncomplicated pregnancy. She's got no previous history of anything cardiac
2: related. BP's 120 over 85 and temp's only 37.5. Yeah, but, but you've seen the changes in the ECG, haven't you? You've done blood pressure, both arms... This woman needs an urgent echo now. She needs a cardiology review now. Why haven't you called an ambulance yet? Well,
1: I've had a look, but there's like nothing ischemic on it. Sure, it's a bit odd, but like she's breathing really fast. Uh, yeah, I'll get her reviewed, but there's really no rush. All right, back a few
2: steps. Recent viral illness, mm. bit of a cough, coming bit of a cough. She feels bad when she stands up. Heart races when she stands up. Feels better when she lies down. Uh, yeah, how do you know? This ECG, classic, classic presentation of pericardial effusion. She's got viral pericarditis, pericardial effusion. Look at the ECG. See those QRSs? See how they're alternating? Big one, little one, big one, little one, big one, little one. That's the heart swinging back and forth in the effusion. She really needs that urgent echo. Quickest way, ambulance, FSH, cardiology review. I'm going to call cardiology. You sort that ambulance. Okay, yep, I see
1: it. I'm on it. We're good. I have no idea at all what any of that meant. Um, I could definitely tell from the the thing on the screen that there was a problem. I don't know if you were also in that. I definitely knew. As soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, man, Perry, Perry sauce from Nando's is needed. And uh, we better get onto that stat. So as we approach John 3, it's so important to understand we have Jesus, who we would call the shepherd of Israel, the great teacher of Israel, having a conversation with uh, Nicodemus, who Jesus literally refers to as the teacher of Israel. And so in this passage, there is way more than I'm going to have time for. There is so much more cool stuff. There are multi-layer conversations going on. There is like depth in some of the things Jesus says that applies not only to like Nicodemus sitting across from him, but all people at all time to literally right back into John 2, which just happened. And Jason spoke to us about with the cleansing of the temple and would speak forward and foreshadow everything Jesus is about to do. These guys are really, really smart. Really smart. All right, let me show you. Let me show you something really, really smart. If we can have up on the, up on the slide, John 3, 5 through 13. Beautiful. Now, I've cut some parts out. Uh, but Jesus answered, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it goes, so it is there and it's born in the Spirit. Verse 12, if I've told you earthly things... And you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, as glaringly obvious as it was to Eleanor, it would have been glaringly obvious to Nicodemus, this is a reference to a different Bible passage. Anyone want to have a stab? I'll be wildly impressed if anyone knows. Awesome. There it is. So water, wind, earth, ascension, descension... Yep, and then let's go Proverbs 30, verse 4. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? And who has established the ends of the earth? Now, do you have any idea why Jesus, talking to Nicodemus, who's come to him at night to ask, are you the Messiah? Fundamentally, that's why he's there. Do you know why he would reference this passage? Because the next two lines... What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. What a statement. What a way to make a statement. To bury it, interweave it into your answers to Nicodemus' immediate questions. To throw down the gauntlet and say, Nicodemus, from the moment you came into this conversation, I already had the answers. I've been weaving them into this conversation that I might declare to you. God's name, I am his son, and surely, surely you should know. Wild. Not at all the point of today. But I say that because I want you to understand the intellectual level these guys are at. In the same way we mostly did not understand Aaron and Eleanor's conversation, Jesus and Nicodemus are having a conversation that we can understand at a high level, but if you want to dig into this, you will find gold. And I want to encourage you this morning that Jesus' words are precious, they are wonderful, they are multi-layered, they are for the simple, they are for the intellectual, they are for the complicated, they are for you and I to spend our lives getting lost in, because there's far more than meets the eye. I thought I knew John 3. I had no idea about this. I had no idea he was referencing Proverbs 30. I've read John 3, I don't know, 20 or 30 times at least. And I had no idea there was a reference to Proverbs 30 in there. And now that I've seen it, I'm like, well, yeah, that's that's exactly what's going on in this conversation. So as we uh, talk specialists and specializations, I want to give you a piece of background and context that's going to help you understand why Nicodemus has come to Jesus in the first place. Like, why not just ignore him? Why not wait till Jesus comes to you? Why has Nicodemus entered in? And why do they keep walking around asking, like, are you the Messiah? Like they asked John, they asked these various prophets, these prophetic figures, and it's like, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? Why were they actually looking for a Messiah? So if we can, we're going to jump into Deuteronomy 30, verse 4 through 6. Can we have that one up on the screen? Beautiful. So even... If you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. And then verse 6, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. This is a prophecy from Moses' time about what's coming for Israel when they're banished and they come back. And George, if we can have Ezekiel 37... Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I'm the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I'll settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. These are the background, overarching promises that sit over the nation of Israel. And so this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, these are, are like right in front of you. you know, and, and Ezekiel 37, if you're wondering, it is the Valley of Dry Bones passage. That's where that prophecy comes from. But the main thing is that there are three major commonalities in these two passages. The first one is the Jews. It's talking to the people of Israel. The second one is it's about a regathering. He says in both passages, I will gather you back to the land and there's spiritual renewal. I'll circumcise your hearts, the hearts of your descendants, so you will love me with all your heart. And I will put my spirit in you and you will live. So there are three things that they're looking for the Jews being back gathered into Israel with a spiritual renewal going on. And for Nicodemus, he's kind of looking at this going, well, we are the Jewish people. We have been regathered into the land. And we're the spiritual renewal. We're the Pharisees. We keep the law better than anyone in the history of Israel has ever kept the law. And we make sure everyone else does too. We've even cut 600 laws into like a thousand other laws just to make sure we really keep the big laws that are super important. We are the spiritual renewal. We're doing it. We're doing this love the Lord your God with all your hearts, all mind and strength thing. And Jesus steps into this conversation with Nicodemus. And that's where we pick up. That's the background and context for these two specialists as they start this conversation. It's really important to note when we talk about the Pharisees, it was a grit your teeth, have enough self-discipline, be self-righteous enough that God will accept you. And we have many, many passages in in Jesus' time in the Gospels about what this looks like. There's the one time when they go to the temple and there's a, a sinner, as they call him, just on the outside of the temple, crying out to God, beating his chest, saying, God, woe is me, I'm a sinner. And then we see the Pharisee, and the Pharisee goes, I thank you, God, I'm not that guy. I thank you, God, I'm smart enough, I'm strong enough, I'm good enough to pray to you this morning. And Jesus goes, surely that guy's not even heard. So this is our context of people longing for the Lord and Pharisees who think they are the spiritual renewal of God because they try hard enough. If you've got your Bibles with you, I want you to open them up because for the next about 15 minutes, I'm going to be going through this passage kind of line by line. So if you've got them there, open them up to John 3, starting pretty much at the top. So Nicodemus has come to Jesus and he opens up with like kind of flattery. He opens up with this statement and he would say, we know you are a teacher come from God. That would be nice if some of you said that about me this morning. I would feel good. <laughs> and Nicodemus will go on, because no one can do the signs you do unless God is with him. Now, this statement is about to trap Nicodemus because Jesus can now say anything he wants to say and Nicodemus has just gone, you're from God, I've seen the signs. So whatever Jesus says now, he's got a free reign to just go for it, to just get in there and cut sick on Nicodemus and be like, here's the truth. And that's what he does. Similar to the the demonstration we had with Eleanor and Aaron, and Eleanor sees the thing and she's like, ambulance. Jesus jumps in and goes, Nicodemus, surely you know, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, nah, that doesn't work. How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter into his mother's womb a second time? Nicodemus is not at all understanding what Jesus is saying. Jesus would respond, truly, truly, you must be born of water and the spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Remembering he's speaking to someone who has built a religious system around just being strong enough in their own flesh to obey Jesus. But that which is born of spirit is spirit. And now it doesn't say this, but it's obvious. Nicodemus' head is on tilt. Nicodemus is kind of like, Jesus, what do you mean? And how do we know? Because Jesus has to go, don't marvel at what I'm saying. It's the very next line he says, don't marvel, which tells us Nicodemus, the great teacher of Israel, about a sentence and a half into this conversation is lost. You want to talk about two specialists having a conversation, but one is way smarter than the other? That's what we're looking at. Jesus continues, the wind blows where it wishes, you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus almost blurts out, How can these things be? And if you're following this conversation, that's almost like a dramatic thing to say. It doesn't really sound like Jesus has said anything earth shattering, such that a rabbi who would typically banter back and forth with scripture and ask questions back and forth and do what Jesus did interweave answers into their conversations doesn't sound like Jesus has said that much that's that concerning to Nicodemus. But what's happening here is that in Jesus' two statements, he has taken a sledgehammer, an absolute sledgehammer, to Nicodemus' understanding of the world. You remember the three commonalities. You've got to be Jews. You've got to be of God's chosen people, the one he's made the covenants with, the one he's made the promises with. And yes, they're the centerpiece, but Jesus is literally saying, even you, Nicodemus, even us, the Jews, must be born again. Your lineage, your tribe, where you come from, they're not enough. They're not enough to enter into the spiritual renewal I want to give you. You must be born again. And as he goes on, he talks about the work of the Spirit being something you can't really understand, that you might not know where the people come from. You might not know where they're going. You won't really understand what's going on. Nicodemus is going, no, the Spirit's here. We've had the spiritual renewal. And Jesus, who is just penned into the corner as the teacher come from God, is saying, the renewal's still coming. The Spirit I promised you in Ezekiel 37 This isn't it. You've got flesh giving birth to flesh throughout your entire religious structure. But I'm here because spirit's going to give birth to spirit. So the reason Nicodemus is so rattled is because in the three things he needs to anoint the Messiah, the three boxes he's trying to tick to have the Messiah come to deliver the nation from Rome, the three boxes the Pharisees want Jesus just took a bright red marker and turned two of them into crosses and said, all you've got is that you're regathered. So if you're wondering how the teacher of Israel gets lost in the space of like two sentences, that's how. Jesus has taken a sledgehammer to all that he understood. And we remember this because in Philippians 3, if I can have the verse... Paul would say all of the things that were important to me. I knew that I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted a loss for the sake of Christ. Paul is speaking back into this very conversation. And he's saying, like Nicodemus, I had it all. I had all the boxes ticked. I thought I knew everything that was important to see the kingdom of God, to be in the family of God, to live the way he's called us to. But compared to Christ and the new life he gives, it was a loss. Jesus continues on in the passage. And he says to Nicodemus, this isn't some great mystery. It's what I've seen with my own eyes. It's what we, the disciples, can bear witness to. And he says to Nicodemus, how can I entrust you with the heavenly revelation if you can't even get on the page concerning the simple things I'm witnessing in the short time of ministry? If I can witness to the Spirit being at work in my disciples, and we know Jesus picks like a motley crew of all sorts and transforms their lives with great power, with great change. And he's saying, Nicodemus, if you can't, if you can't see it, what I can witness to, how am I going to teach you the heavenly things? And it's worth noting that Nicodemus doesn't say anything else in the entire conversation. He actually disappears at this moment. I mean, he doesn't go anywhere, but he's, he's got nothing left to say. And he is sitting at the feet of the truest, greatest rabbi. I can imagine Nicodemus is wondering, going, how? How can we get from where we are everything we've built? We tried our hardest to keep the law. We tried our best to set up a system that would work so that God could dwell in our midst. The Messiah could come. The promises of the kingdom, the glory, all that is in store for us. We tried our best, And Jesus would explain that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And what he's referencing there is the story in number 6, where the snakes are sent uh, as, a, as a judgment on the people of Israel, and Moses makes a bronze serpent and holds it up, and those who look upon the bronze serpent those who trust in the God who gives them the bronze serpent would be saved from the plague of of death and poison. And so Jesus says, just like looking upon that thing, just like trusting that if you could gaze on that, you'd be healed. So I, the son of man, will be lifted up and all who look upon me, all who believe in me will enter into eternal life will enter into a new life. He's promising Nicodemus there's a fulfillment that just like that stops the plague and the sin and the death in the camp at the time. So Jesus will once and for all be the answer to the plague of sin and death in humanity. And it's into this context we have the most beautiful verse, John three sixteen, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That just like it was for Israel when Moses lifted up the serpent, so we will be saved, committing our lives to this one who was lifted up on the cross. For God didn't send his son to condemn the world. And he's, he's literally talking about mostly non-Gentiles because to Nicodemus it's obvious it's not the Jews. But in order that the world might be saved through him, for whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus that Jesus has come to take the cross and give the Spirit. That God so loves the world, he is doing the unthinkable trading the life of his son for the life of all humanity. Jews, but also those dirty, stinky, unclean Gentiles, the ones with no law, no covenants, no cool lineage or tribe, no national history or exodus, no priests or temple, but welcomed in with the most royal of welcomes. Given a new birth and a new life through Jesus. Welcomed in with a love that trades places with all of our not good enough, and closed with all of Jesus' very good enough. And now that we've covered off the passage and can understand some of this conversation, there's more layers, and I really encourage you to study it because it's a really cool passage. But I have a simple question this morning. Have you been born again? And I don't mean are you saved or are you a Christian? I literally mean, have you been born again? Has your life become so reorientated from wherever it was to live like Jesus in a way that feels like you've had to restart and relearn everything? To become like a child again and ask, why? Why this? Show me this. How do I do this? Teach me that. Take me there. Has the God who so loves you that he would give his son's life in exchange for yours become the central reality of your life? Pushing you into a life of forgiveness, of kindness, of patience, of goodness, of fasting, of serving, of blessing your enemies. Has your life been changed by a new birth? Or do you find yourself mostly living like the world around us? Mostly ignorant of what your father's done for you. Has it changed the way you relate to people, relate to your job, relate to time, that everything you have and everything you are would be formed into the image of Jesus? Because hear me this morning, by the grace of God, you and I have Two fathers. We really do. We really have the Father in heaven. And no matter what your earthly one is like, he's not on the same playing field at all. I mean, Jesus would be so bold as to stand up and say, if you being evil, seeking to fathers, know how to give good gifts to your children. It's like he's comparing and he's like, man, any father on this earth is going to be evil compared to the goodness of your father in heaven. So whatever your father situation is on this earth, I want to tell you, you have a far better than, far greater than father in the heavens who is with you. And that far better than, far greater than father has it in his mind that you are the most valuable thing in the cosmos. And he would give his own son in an exchange for you. And one of the coolest things to me is that unlike any father you've ever heard of, he is an eternal, permanent father. Let me explain that. See, I am a father and I have a father. My father wasn't born a father. He was born a son. But on June 15th, 1987, he became a father. It's my brother's birthday for anyone who's wondering. On that day, he became a father, and a couple years later, I was born as his son, and on March 14, 2020, I became a father, and it's been one of the most revolutionary things that's ever happened to me. It's amazing how your world flips, and you fall in love with your wife all over again, and you fall in love with this perfect little baby, Alora. And in that moment, I became a dad, and it changes how I relate to the world, how I relate to people, what I think is important. But the coolest thing to me is that God never had a moment where he became a father. Because God chooses to explain to us and reveal to us that he is always a father. See, he could have revealed himself as like, A boss with slaves. He could have revealed himself as a king with subjects. He could have picked any number of ways to reveal himself. Any way that we would understand him and be able to connect with him. But the one he chooses to reveal himself as is a father with a son. And the spirit. I'm not ignoring him, but for my analogy, it's the father and the son right now. He is always a father. His heart is perpetually like a new dad. Like that first day you get to hold your child. And, and for him, it's like he is always permanently like someone frozen in time. A doting father who has a newborn in his arms. His heart never moves on from that moment. That kind of love where all you want to do is watch him sleep. All you want to do is watch him eat. All you want to do is be with that child. So is his heart for us. Have we been born again? I mean, when he delivers the Hebrew slaves from Egypt, in Hosea 11.1 1, it says this, When Israel was a child I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. And I read that and I'm like, my son? Are you kidding me? Like the Hebrews, Moses comes to them and they're like, nah, we don't like you that much. And then they do the first miracle and the Hebrews labor gets doubled. And they're like, nah, get out of here. We don't like you. Take your thing and and go. And then as it would go on and Jesus, God delivers them through an incredible exodus. And then they get like out of Egypt for a couple of days. And they're like, ah, take us back to Egypt. We should have died there. So much better in slavery than whatever you've got for us. And Jesus looks down on them as a doting father. And he's like, that's my boy. You crazy Hebrews, I'm doting over you. I'm watching you sleep. I'm watching you eat. I'm so in love with you. Daddy's got you, and I'm going to bring you through this no matter how weak and rebellious you are right now. You and I have got glorious times ahead, Israel. Oh, it's going to be special. It's going to change the whole world. Just you wait and see. There is a father heart inside of him. And it would go on, Hosea 11, 3 and 4. It was I who taught Ephraim, Israel, to walk taking them by the arms. But they didn't realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness and with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. God would say, I led them with cords of human kindness and ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek. In all their craziness, brokenness and rebellion, that in Israel's history, this is how the Father sees them and loves them. Leading them with loving kindness, lifting them to the cheek and bending low to feed them. And this passage so moves me because I didn't know what that experience was until I became a dad. Many of you do. You don't need to be a dad. I just didn't like babies. I don't, small children, give me your teens. It's much better that way. But when I became a dad, man, I love leading a Laura. I love helping her learn and experience new things. I love lifting her to my cheek and rubbing my head on hers. I love bending down to feed her, or for those of you who know her, it's more bend down and pick her up and then feed her because she loves to be carried. And even though she's troublesome and she throws her little tantrums, there were about six of them this morning. She lies on the floor. Life is over. I know that in those troubles, my love is strong enough to see her through. Those troubles that look so real to her in that moment when she can't have that piece of food that she really, really wants. And even if you give it to her, then she doesn't really want it anymore. All those troubles that seem so big to her. I'm her dad. And I often say to her, daddy's got you. You're going to be fine. And I'm fully convinced in that moment that her troubles will be forgotten. As I swing her in my arms and play with her and shift her focus onto me. It was just this week on Monday. It was it was a bad day, Monday. I look after Laura on Mondays and it was a bad one. It was, she's got four teeth coming through, top and bottom, all, all around. It is not pleasant and it was a bad day. And it got to about lunchtime after tantrums, not eating, wanting things she can't have, not wanting the things that she usually loves. And um, all you parents understand, so I don't need to rehash it. She's nothing special in that regard. Um, and we went to a park, and, our oh, classic, just to make it worse, first thing she does, we get to the park and she poos. Um, sort that out. We're playing on the little slides, and at the very top of the park, it's a massive park, and at the top of the park there are these huge slides, and I can see she's eyeing them off. And I'm like, Laura, those are for like 10-year-old kids. You know, these are slides. They'd be, you know, nearly the height of this room type slide. Um, and I could see she wanted to go. And something in me was like, let's go see. Let's go see if we can do it. And anyway, we climbed to the top. And and I, it's, it's weird to try and put a child in your lap while you get into a slide. Um, we got there. It was all good. She was fine. And we launch down the slide and she gets to the bottom and I like flip her around to see if she's like happy or sad. And, And she didn't know what to do. She was like, that's the fastest slide I've ever been on. This was excellent. And then she launches off and she tries to run up the hill. The hill's too steep for her to even get up, but she's trying to get up the hill to go again. And we ended up going around and around on this slide for five or six times. And she just loved it. She loved it. And the, the craziest part was we went home. She had a nap, short one. She woke up and it was like she knew. She had played with her dad. And all the pain, all the frustration, all the difficulties were gone. And she was like my little angel child again. She was back. And it was great. But as I connected with her as her father on a massive slide, hoping no one got hurt. I found my daughter again. And it was a really special moment. So this passage has been moving me. And as much as it's a multi-layered deep conversation between two incredible geniuses. The punchline is the punchline. He opens up with it. Unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom. And this morning, that's my question. Have you been born again? Because it's really hard to love your enemies if you haven't. It's really hard to forgive people when you don't know the Father's love. It's really hard to pray and fast when you're not connected to a Father who loves you and cares for you. It's really hard to actually live the Christian life the way Jesus did that takes you to pouring out your life again and again and ultimately on a cross. It's really, really hard to do that without being connected to your Father. And this morning I feel like God wants to help us. I've got some practicals that are going to come up on the screen because I think there are some practical things we can do to understand our Father better. Because the crazy thing is there's not really there are there are resources but there's no father like him. There's really no father like him. How good or bad your dad is, he's not close. I'm not close in my parenting with Laura. But we can learn who he is. Being born again means we have to become like a baby, a little child to learn again with wide-eyed wonder. Reading his word, talking to him about it, read books about it, listening to teachings about it, asking friends about it, soaking ourselves in the understanding that God is our father. We must be reborn and relearn. Two, we need to ask him, asking him about how everything changes, asking him about how the world works. You know, little kids, they're notorious. Why? Why? Why this? Why that? Why that? What's this? What's that? How do I turn the TV on? I really want to watch the TV. How does that work? You know, we have to be in asking people who in all stages of our life are willing to ask Him, God, show me what life looks like in your kingdom in this area. What does it look like in my workplace? What does it look like in my families? How do I live as your child today? Step boldly into faith. Begin to live faith-filled that he is your father, in obedience to his word, connected to his father heart for you. Begin to live in faith-filled adventure, daring to believe his goodness is true. Boldly learn to love your enemies. We've been having a great chat with our junior leadership team that loving your enemies is not ignoring them. Loving your enemies means loving them. It's a very difficult thing to do but that's what he invites us into. And forgiving people who don't treat you well. Step out in faith and forsake anger, choosing weakness and humility instead. And do it with friends. Why? Because in the same way that I can't say I'm Wayne's son without also being Nathan's brother, God invites us into his family. Jesus, the son is the one who made a way for you to the father. He wants in on the journey and he wants the whole family in on the journey. So do it with friends. We'll find more and more of our father as we love his children and journey together as a family. And Nathan, it'd be great if you could come up now. But at the end of the day, rebirth is a work of God. Jesus makes it clear in this passage that we must be born again by work of the Spirit. It's something to cry out for. It's a reality to groan for. Romans 5.5 5 says, The Holy Spirit has poured out the love of God. If we can have those verses up, George. The Holy Spirit has poured out the love of God on our hearts. Galatians 4.6 says, Because we are sons of God, God has sent the Spirit of God's Son within us that cries out, Abba, Father. And Romans 8.15 echoes it. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. There is a work of the spirit in each of our lives that God wants to do that brings us into the place of being reborn, brings us into the place of adoption, crying out maybe for the first time, Abba, Father. Really connecting with what that means. And I know that for many of us, that can have all kinds of connotations and and weird things. And I want to be really clear. I'm really not giving a salvation message at all this morning. That's not what this is about. This is about us as the ones loved by God, as ones who have said yes to him, embracing the new life he's given us. So this morning, I want to leave us with this question. Have we been born again? And Nathan's going to play a response song. And if you're sitting there and there's a stirring inside of you, it's been my prayer over this whole week that God would stir us this morning to cry out. To have that spirit within us that cries out and says, Dad, help. Dad, help us. I don't want to live disconnected from the spirit of God. I don't want to live as an orphan in this life. I don't want to live disconnected from the greatest father that's ever been. I want to know my place in your family. I want to know who you've called me to be. I want to know who I am in you and I want to see it rightly, maybe for the first time. I want to see more than what I see right now. And I hope this morning I've been able to just kind of, I feel like it's just opening the menu of what's on God's heart for fathering and and, and for us as a community. And I just want to invite you, if you want to respond this morning, to come down the front and just say, God, I want to know the adoption. I want to know what it is to be your son. I want to be reborn into your family. I want to know it. I want to live it. I want a greater reality inside of me than anything this world puts on me. I want to read the news and watch the stories, believing in a father who loves his children and not worried about the day ahead. So if that's you this morning, I should invite you to just come down and respond and and if you want to stay in your seat and respond, that's cool too. Nathan's going to sing, but this is just a time for us to cry out together as a family. To cry out together to really know God. To really know him as our father. So whether you come forward or you stay in your chair, I want you to invite I want to invite you to engage with this song and begin to pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for your kids. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your families. Let's cry out to God this morning that His Spirit would come. So Father, we ask You right now, come and do what only You can do. God, come and open the heavens over us. Pour out Your Spirit on us. The promise, spiritual renewing that comes from Your Spirit, God. We want it. We want to walk in the newness of life. We want to walk in the eternal life. We don't want to just live a good moral existence. But we want to be born again into true and lasting life. Into sonship with you. Help us this morning, Holy Spirit. Set a fire inside of us this morning.